bless you this morning. And all that is going on in our world today, and even just things we've walked through these last couple of years, the Lord is certainly trying to get our attention for the things He's trying to do in our hearts, which is really where all the change happens. We have been, if you're visiting this morning, dealing with the Scripture, Psalm 23. David talks about the Lord's ministry to him being that of restoring his soul. And we've talked about the fact that our soul really is that part of us. That's our personality. It's, it's where emotions are. It's, it's kind of the decision center uh, in a lot of ways in our life. It interacts with the natural realm that we live in. It has a lot to do with our feelings, a lot to do with our emotions, and so on. And I think oftentimes... In the Western church, at least, when we come to Christ, uh, a lot of people have this idea that really we're just kind of taking on this backpack of, okay, this new lifestyle I live, and so it becomes a burden, and I'm going to try to do good and please the Lord and, you know, be a good person. And right away, because that's our natural tendency as humans to try to earn our own way and keep control, but right away, our faith really becomes just another burden in a lot of ways. It becomes just more expectations and trying to do the best we can rather than realizing that the Lord wants us to lay down that backpack and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing, and just allow Him to change us from the inside out, to begin to point to the different things when He knows we're ready, and to bring healing, to bring understanding, to break things, to you know, grow us, whatever the case may be. And so, just as David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and He restores my soul. That part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what we call sanctification, is the Holy Spirit works that, that healing, that restoration in our soul, so that really as we go through life, no matter what may be coming our way, no matter what our world is going through, our own, you know, our own citizens are going through, that we're able to navigate that not only for our own preservation, but we're able to carry with us and minister that same peace, that wherever we go, we can bring that stillness, we can bring that calm, we can bring that perspective. Uh, but that has to be reigning in our hearts if it's going to flow through us and, and touch those around us. Uh, so this morning, I want to talk about another aspect of the Lord's working in our heart when it comes to that restoration. But I want to begin by uh, posing a question to the ladies in our congregation and that is, um, have you ever wondered how, what somebody might think if they had a chance to look at all the items that you carry in your purse? You ever think about that? I kind of thought of maybe, you know, starting with the exercise of just taking your purse and give it to somebody you don't know and maybe look at their reaction. Now, I have no idea what a woman carries in her purse. In fact, I have no idea why my wife has to have a purse everywhere we go. I mean, we can be going to the grocery store. We're just going to buy groceries like nothing's going to happen. We're just going to put food into the cart. Nobody's going to get hurt. We're going to go to the cash. We're going to pay for it and come home. I have my credit card. We're good. No, I've got to have my purse. And sometimes that scares me because I, I just don't know what she has in mind. She watches a lot of murder mysteries, and uh, so I could disappear any time. So if you just uh, want to know what happened to me, just catch up on the last episodes of Forensic Files, and uh, you may get some clues there. But I have no idea what's in a woman's purse. I actually had to Google it, and uh, I came across a list of some of the most common things. And they, of course, you know, include things like a cell phone or nowadays a mask, uh, you know, things like hand sanitizer. Uh, you, you can probably think of other things, car keys, you know, things like that. Um, I came across uh, one list a lady had. She said she also carries pepper spray. Uh, she carries Band-Aids uh, as well as chocolate. I can understand chocolate. 
And then she also said, I also have a handful of just trash. And uh, that's the way she put it. I think she called it straight up trash is what she called it. And, uh, but you know, really, uh, uh, however random those items may be in a woman's purse, and I'm sure they all differ, the fact is I'm sure that every single one of them has a purpose. And every one of those items probably say something about you, uh, maybe what's important to you, as well as maybe what even stage of life you are in. Uh, if you're older, you may have different things in your purse than a, a new mother. You know, you can imagine their purses are pretty big and they have a, a, a lot of stuff in their purse. Uh, but it can speak to, of course, what season you may be in in life. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, in the same way, if each of us took an honest look at what we carry around in our lives, it would reveal a lot about us. It would reveal maybe where we are in our life, what we've come through, what's important to us. Uh, it may even speak about some of the effects that maybe particular kinds of baggage that we carry with us have had on our lives. Now, a lot of our baggage tends to come from our family history. And, and it can really shape who we are as people. Uh, whether we think of our family as a blessing or whether we think of them as a burden, uh, we can all carry things that have been handed down to us through our family. Now, some of those things can be very useful, and we can be very thankful that we've inherited those things, but as that lady said, some of those things are also straight-up trash, and they don't really belong in our lives, and they don't really do us a whole lot of good. So this morning, what I want to talk about, another aspect, last week we spoke about our identity in Christ and how, that, how important that was, that really understanding who we are in God's eyes determines a lot about what we believe and, and how we behave. And so this other, other area that I want to talk about um, has to do with what I would call just overcoming family sin patterns. Overcoming family sin patterns. Uh, I think it's really an integral part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life as He tries to work that wholeness and healing in us so that we really can be complete in the way the Lord wants us to be. Now, there's probably many definitions for family sin patterns, but the way I've described it very simply is this. I think a family sin pattern is, is either a belief, a mindset, or a behavior that has been deposited into my family line by someone in my family before me. And because it's in my family line, that particular thing, more so than perhaps other things, exposes me to the potential of either certain sins or struggles or even strongholds. It's usually something that kind of stands out in our mind or in our family, something that we may even just have accepted as a trait that's been passed down from generations, even if it's something that's, that's detrimental. But it tends to be something that stands out more than other things and something that usually seems to be a bit harder to really get a handle on or to break. Uh, that can include, for example, something like anger. You know, maybe you've heard somebody say, man, you've got your father's temper. You know, or somebody says, man, you're worried like your mother. You know, not to be stereotypical, maybe it's the other way around. Uh, but, you know, we, we kind of say those things flippantly, and oftentimes they are accurate observations, but we don't really consider what the impact is or the reality of how those things can work in our lives and in the lives of our children as well. Other things might include abuse, rejection, alcoholism, adultery, uh, addictions, pride, pornography, greed, uh, you may have someone who's really controlling in your family. You may have in your family a tendency to really be driven and, and to overachieve. Uh, maybe manipulation. You know, you've got someone in your family who just kind of seems to know how to use guilt and shame. And, and maybe you find yourself doing that same thing that you swore you'd never do. Whatever it may be, it could be any sin at all. 
But the reality is the more we are exposed to a particular sin or struggle, then the more susceptible we become to repeating that in our life and to seeing that repeated in lives after us. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27, Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. We say that with me? Do not give the devil a foothold. Another translation words it this way, do not give the devil a way to defeat you. In other words, what Paul is saying is do not allow there to be an opening in your life by which the enemy or sin is able to gain access in your heart. Because wherever the enemy is allowed to have access in your heart, he also has access in your home. And he's able to try to use that same thing to influence those within your home, especially those over whom you have care. Now, the good news, of course, is that although your family history may have a certain pull on you in a certain direction, you have the choice whether or not you're going to walk in the shoes of those who were before you or whether you're going to put an end to whatever may have become that pattern in your own life. For example, in my life, I grew up playing sports, competitive sports, and so we were always afterward, it was always the party, it was always the alcohol flowing, the drugs were available. I'm sure a lot of you my age or even today, you maybe find yourself in similar or have found yourself in similar things. Now, for me, that never really had an appeal for me. I didn't really experience a whole lot of pressure from my peers. But when it came to alcohol and drugs, it wasn't because I was better than anybody else, but I'm convinced it was because primarily it was something that was not in my family. It was just something that wasn't in my life. It wasn't part of my family. And thankfully, I had a good relationship with my parents, and uh, there were reasons why I didn't want to uh, participate in those things. Uh, one was, of course, just I felt at that age that I was kind of secure in my identity. Um, I had other issues, believe me, but I was kind of secure in my identity. Didn't really give in a whole lot to peer pressure. But, but when it came to the whole party scene, even more than my faith in the Lord, I just had this sense in my heart, I, I would never want to show up you know, drunk or out of it uh, on my front doorstep. I would never want to break my parents' heart. I would never want to disappoint them like that. So that was just, you know, something that kind of helped me, I guess, to kind of stay on the path in that thing. And yet the reality is I could very easily have allowed myself to participate in those things. And if I had done so, I would have given those things access into my heart. That may have continued on to today. My life may have taken a different direction. We all know many stories of when alcohol, drugs, and so on uh, takes over. It can definitely change and ruin a life and for generations to come. Now, that's not to say that I didn't have other issues. Okay, for those who know me, I've still got issues. Um, but there were other family sin patterns in my, in my home. For example, for many years in my married life, it didn't happen all the time, but it happened seasonally is that I really wrestled with what I would call the sin of irritability. Now, irritability, even though I still irritate people, um, it's, it's the sin of irritability that goes the other way. Uh, it's kind of a sanitized uh, word for the word moodiness, right? Uh, just for many, many years, I would just have this, this bent toward moodiness. I mean, even the word itself seems heavy, doesn't it? You're moody, you know, just uh, groaning, you know. And, uh, and I would really struggle with that, that issue, that sin of moodiness. And what I found was over the years is that it really became my default emotion whenever I felt rejection in any way that it may be. Uh, it was also a sin that I knew was passed down in my family. It was something that was present in the home when I grew up. I remember kind of feeling the heaviness uh, when that would happen. 
And uh, I didn't understand it fully. I mean, the word moody and so on was tossed around once in a while. But it wasn't really until I was an adult myself that whenever I felt rejection, I felt in my marriage relationship that rather than lashing out in anger, because I don't think I'm an angry person in that, in that you know, uh, outside kind of way, uh, that even though I didn't lash out in anger, what I would do is I would just kind of wall up. I just kind of put a wall there. And then I would give my wife the silent treatment. And that could last for a couple hours. It could last for a few days. Sometimes it would last so long, I would just kind of laugh at myself like, this is nuts. Uh, but, it, but of course, it wasn't, it wasn't a small thing. And she knew I'd be upset. She didn't always know why. And sometimes it went so long, she didn't care. Do what you got to do. I'm going to go on and do my thing. But, uh, but over the years... You know, I would wrestle with that because I'm, I'm, I'm still a child of God. I'm still a Christian man. I'm still a preacher, you know, and I just, I don't want to be living in that. And so I would just kind of go to prayer and I'd say, Lord, forgive me, and I know it's wrong, and Lord, I want to stop this, and I want to find a way to get out of this. And, and, uh, but I found probably a lot of times I was praying more in the sense of, Lord, when she does that thing, it drives me nuts, and, you know, she should know better, and, you know, that's kind of called manipulation. So I was kind of had two things on the go there. But, uh, but there, was a, there was one time I remember in particular when I was in prayer, and I just really felt the Lord say to me, he said, Paul, look, not only are you angry about this issue, you're an angry person. Even though you don't manifest it outwardly and lashing out, in your heart there's anger, and you need to deal with it. And you see, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you that way, well, you've got a choice, whether or not you want to deal with it or whether you want to justify it and just continue to see the pattern repeat itself, not only in your life, but potentially for your children as well. And the only way you can really deal with those things, like any sin, is when you truly bring that into the light before the Lord and before other people as well. And so after speaking with the Lord, I also spoke with my wife. And I said something like this. I said, honey, most of my moodiness is because of how I react when you don't do what I think you should do. When you don't respond in a certain way that I think you should know, or you should know how I feel, whatever the case may be. But I said, honey, listen, that is on me. That is 90% my fault. Because the other side, a very small percentage, was that there's also ways that she would respond that were hurtful to me, even though she didn't intend to be hurtful. But the point is, I owned my part, she owned her part. And I began to learn how to deal with that sin, how to deal with that moodiness and that heaviness that was there, and how to see that broken in order to just live in a healthier way. But the point is that the, the pattern of sin that was in my life, that was present, that was passed down, I believe, spiritually, it can't be broken unless you admit it. It can't be broken unless you come to the place where you say, Lord, I can line up all the excuses I can say, well, I wouldn't do that if they didn't do this, whatever the case may be. But until I say, Lord, it is sin, period. It is sin. I hate it. I don't want it. Until you do that, you can't be free. You see, sin travels. It travels from one generation to another, the Bible says. It travels by our actions, and our actions set into motion things that will be reflected in our children. And they will be repeated by our children and by their children. You see, we have no problem believing scientifically that we pass on our physical DNA to our children, right? We know that. I mean, there's just things they do, way they react. You know, you're just like a father. I mean, I can be sitting on the couch for a half hour. And when I get up, 
I walk exactly like my father. It takes me five minutes to straighten up. My hips are gone, whatever. I find myself saying things, and as soon as I say it, it's not only the same words as my father, it's the exact same tone as my father. I mean, it's to a point when we go to a restaurant, if I ever crack a joke with the waiter or the waitress, when they walk away, the first thing I'll hear my wife or my family say is, very funny, Roy. Roy's my father. So whatever, like it's just there. And we all identify with that. We all understand that. But I think what we forget sometimes is that not only do we transfer our physical DNA, but if the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm, we've got to understand we can also transfer our spiritual DNA to our children and to our families. In fact, part of parenting is actually correcting those character flaws in our children. But there are some things that go so much deeper than just something we can correct with our words or with maybe discipline if need be. There's also lots of examples in the Bible about family sin. I mean, if you look at King David, we don't know about David's previous family, his parents, his grandparents, whatever. We don't know. But what we do know is from David onward in his family tree, it was actually plagued with sexual immorality. I mean, we know King David's story, right? He lusts after Bathsheba orchestrates things to sleep with her, has her husband killed. He has her now as his wife. That is now sown in his family. That is now there. Not that many years later, uh, one of his sons, Amnon, he lusts after one of David's daughters because David now has many wives, many concubines. One wasn't enough. See, that's just perpetuating. And so Amnon actually rapes Tamar. Then we have the story of Absalom, another one of David's sons. Who, who rebels against David, and not only rebels, but he intentionally sleeps with all of David's concubines so that everybody knows it. And then we have Solomon, who came after David on the throne of Israel. What does Solomon do? He begins his reign as a godly, wise king. Just the wealth, the blessing of God that was there. But after about 20 years of taking other wives from other nations, and their heart, they're leading his heart away from God, the nation of Israel soon after is in ruins. And so the sin of David's sexual immorality just seems to get worse from generation to generation. Then we come to a man like Abraham. Abraham was a man who loved God, who obeyed God, just incredible sacrifice in, in walking with God. In fact, he is our prototype for faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, the Bible says. He's that, you know, prototype of what we experience in faith in Christ, an incredible man of God. And yet if Abraham had an Achilles heel, it was the fact that whenever the pressure was on at a certain stage in his life, it just seemed like he would lie. It just came so natural. And so here we have in two different occasions, you may remember in Genesis, that Abraham is traveling with his wife, Sarah, a beautiful woman, and people ask, hey, is this your wife? Well, in that culture, he realizes, man, I might get killed and her taken because she's so beautiful. So twice, rather than trusting what God had said to him, God's promise, Abraham lies to cover himself and says, no, she's my sister. And that almost brought a plague upon other nations because of his, of his sin. Well, it doesn't stop at Abraham. Years later, his son Isaac, and I don't know if Isaac was ever there for one of those two instances where Abraham lied. There's no indication that I can see. But years later, Isaac actually is found in the same situation. What does he do? He says the exact same thing. In other words, if he wasn't there to witness it from his father, what was at work in his spirit that he would speak those same words? 
And then years later, Isaac has a son, Abraham's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. And what does Jacob mean? The deceiver. You see, sin patterns are very real. I've sat down with Christian, sincere believers who love the Lord and want to live for him. And they say, Pastor, I can't believe it. I, I, I swore I would never be like my parents. I would never be an abuser. I would never be an alcoholic, whatever it may be. And yet with tears in their eyes, they say, I'm doing the same thing. I don't understand. If anybody should know the difference, it's me. I've lived it. But here I'm doing the same to my children. That's the power. That's the pull of family sins. Now, how do these sin patterns get into our families? In Exodus 20, we see some different stages that are actually highlighted by three different words. Here's what the Lord says in Exodus 20, verse 5 to his people. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am jealous God, rather, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, I'll explain in just a moment. What he's not saying is, I am making your generations do this. He's saying, for the generations who hate me, who turn from me, they have no resource. They, they're not asking me to help them break the cycle. And so that keeps getting visited onto their generations. But, but three key words. The first one is iniquity. Iniquity simply means something that is bent, something that is damaged. And I think what it refers to is a specific weakness that we have a natural pull towards because we have regular exposure to that thing or we regularly practice that sin or that, with that willfulness to, to keep doing that thing or justify that thing rather than repenting and seeing that thing broken. I'm sure all of us, again, can think of things that maybe to this point even innocently we've just kind of chalked up to, well, that's, I guess, that's just kind of who I am. You know, I'm just that way because, well, we're French. You know, I'm just angry because, well, we're, we're Scottish. You know, or I'm Italian. You know, we've all heard that kind of stuff wherever we may be from. There's a tendency to do that. And so iniquity means something that is bent or damaged. Second, God says that this iniquity will, iniquity will visit the children down to the third and fourth generation. If it's not stopped, it will keep traveling. And thirdly, he says, this iniquity continues in the lives of the generations who hate him. And by hatred, he's not talking about this strong dislike. He's talking about the habit of turning away from God, of turning against God. And so the Lord is saying the reason why this sin, this bent, this distortion, this personality thing, this stronghold, the reason why it continues in you and maybe you even see in your children and grandchildren is because instead of turning to me, when I address it to you, you keep pushing me away. You keep justifying it. You keep holding on to it. You may even like it. Find some pleasure in it in some way. And the Lord says that's why it hangs on when it doesn't have to. And so basically what he's saying is the way that it works is when I regularly give in to the pull of a particular sin or a particular struggle, it is not innocuous. Even if nobody sees it, it is not without consequence. When I give in to that on a regular basis, what I am doing is I am depositing that sin into my family or reinforcing that thing into my family, and eventually that same thing will come knocking on the door of my children or those within my household. 
more so than other things perhaps, because I have given it access into my family, into my home. And again, I want to be very clear. Although the actual pull of sin can be passed down through the generations, I am responsible for my own acts of sin. Nobody else. That's my choice. I am responsible for that. So the most important question becomes this. How can we break these patterns of sin or these generational cycles that we see? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognize the promise and the power that we have as God's people. Now, we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, the Lord saying, I'm the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. But he doesn't stop there. He says this in verse 6, but showing mercy to three or four, no, to thousand generations, right, of those who what? Love me and who keep my commands. He's not just saying, if you love me, I'll help you. He's saying that when you love me, like David, when you love my word, when you, when you love the fact that I come to you and you love my love, and you receive what I bring to you in a spirit of love that is given, when you do that, I can actually break those cycles because you keep my commands, you're walking in truth. And as Jesus said, when you know the truth, if you do the truth, the truth will make you free. And so the promise is that we not only have the power to break the strongholds in our family, we also have the power to welcome a system of new blessings of new ways of doing things, new ways of thinking and behaving that actually brings the blessing of God into my life and into generations to come. And there are many of us here this morning who can testify that this was my family history for generations but Jesus. And when I came to Jesus, there was a fork in the road. And there may be some in my family, my siblings, who are still going the old way, and we can see the devastation in many ways, but in my way, we can see the blessing of God. We can see a, a new way of living. And even in, in hardships and trials and circumstances that I have no over control with, no, over, no control over rather, I can still see the grace and hand of God working good things. There's just such a difference because of the presence of the Lord in my life. So the first thing we need to do in breaking these, these, uh, these family patterns is recognize the power of God that's available to us. A second thing we need to do is, and, and, and I'm sorry, young people, but I've got to say it. We've got to stop blaming our parents. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. No, that's not what you always do. doesn't matter how old you are. As long as you've got parents, even if they're not around anymore, we can still blame our parents, right? Or we can blame our family. And that's really one of the devastating things in our culture today. Even though there are some real issues, and there always will be of things that we need to tackle as, as a community, as a society, we've got to rebuke. We've got to stand against this victim spirit. That's so rampant in our culture today. Because everything about our culture is, I mean, we, we just live in a culture today that is so spoiled, that is so opulent, that is so comfortable. Many, many are looking for a purpose. They just gravitate to these things. And there's this victim spirit in our culture today that really robs us of everything we can be in God. Because what do we do? We just embrace, well, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, or, or that's my social, whatever it may be. And what I'm saying is I just can't change it. And in fact, not only can I not change it, you owe me. And we just see people in every area of life that are just stuck where they've been because of that victim spirit that is such a deceiving spirit. But we need to stop blaming others for the poor decisions that we are making, especially those before us. 
I don't know how many, it's just so funny sometimes, uh, I don't mean in that kind of way, but it is, I guess it's ironic, you know, we, we, when we're young, you know, we're married, we start having kids, it's almost like, you know, we are the generation that know how to raise kids. Yeah, we're going to do it different, you know, we're not going to make mistakes. And 20 years later, 25 years later, our kids have kids. We are going to be the generation, you know? We're just always blaming. And all I can say is, look, my parents weren't perfect, but I grew up in a loving home, and that's all I can ask for. Parents who did the best they could. I could tell some stories, but you know what? My kids could tell stories. So just get over it, get on with it. If they loved you, if they do the best they can, Thank the Lord that you have that foundation. Anyways, I'm being distracted here. But listen to what God says to his people in Ezekiel 18. He says this, Why do you quote this proverb? The parents ate the sour grapes, but the children got the sour taste. The parents ate the sour grapes, another translation says, but the children's teeth are on edge. They're kind of, you know, rotting, whatever, because of what the parents ate. In other words, what he's saying is, even back in that day, thousands of years ago, people were still blaming their parents. And what the Lord is saying is, listen, even though what has happened in the past or what's been passed down to you may explain why you have particular struggles with particular things, it may explain that, but it does not excuse you staying where you are. It's a big difference. It can explain what you're struggling with, but it does not excuse you giving up and giving in to whatever that thing may be. You see, we don't talk about our family's sin to blame our families or to excuse ourselves. We talk about those things to expose the sin, to bring it into the light, and then to introduce new and godly things into our lives. And thirdly, to break these sin patterns, we just need to get some accountability. Remember what James says? Confess your faults. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There are things that the Lord will show us. He's given us the authority. There are things that he'll help us to deal with. But we have to recognize that there's always going to be things that are going to come to the surface that the Lord's going to want to grow in us or deal with as we grow in him. That's part of the whole sanctification process. There are many, many things that are still in my heart. If you think moodiness was the only problem, you don't know me. Got lots of stuff there, I'm sure. But there's a lot of stuff I'm not even aware of. But in the right time, the Holy Spirit will bring it to my mind. He will show me and say, okay, Paul, you've been doing great. Now let's work on this. Now that I've done this and this and this, you're ready to deal with this. And so we're all going to have that process in our life. But one of the great tools the Lord has given us is rather than keeping it secret, rather than just trying to do it ourselves all the time, he has given us the gift of godly accountability. If we can find that brother or sister or spouse that we can confide in and say, listen, this is something the Lord is showing me. Would you agree with me in this in prayer as I bring it into the light? Can we pray together about this? Would you keep me accountable for this for a while until I know I'm really free? The Lord says when you have that kind of relationship, you can experience real freedom. And so the question this morning is, can Christians be affected by family sin? And I think the answer is yes. In fact, when a particular sin is allowed in a family for generation after generation after generation, I believe it becomes what the Bible calls a curse. And what a curse very simply is, is a demonically reinforced cycle that traps the family. That's what a curse is. But I thank God for his word. 
Here's what he says. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. Galatians 3. Will you read it with me if we have it up there? Christ has rescued us from the curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. You see, the Lord not only frees us from the power of the curse, from the power of sin, when we come to Christ and we are washed clean and we stand perfect in his eyes, but the Lord also gives us the power to deal with things that can surface or resurface, that can try to get a hook into us or maybe have a hook into us as part of that sanctification process, and he gives us the power to completely identify and destroy that thing. You see, the victory Christ won for us on the cross is so powerful that we can defeat every sin. We can break every addiction, every stronghold, every generational sin that has found its way into our family. We don't have to live under the curse. But friends, we will live under the influence of the curse if we don't get real. I've asked the Holy Spirit, just even as I've been speaking, to just bring to light things in our lives that we have just in some ways accommodated. We just write it off as, well, that's, you know, in my family or, well, you know, such and such happened to me or I'm not normally that way, but my spouse, you know, just knows the button to push, you know, knows how to drive me crazy, whatever. It's always out there. It's always justifying maybe somebody else. And the Lord says it may explain why you react sometimes the way you do, but it doesn't excuse it. If it's sin, it is sin, and sin will destroy you, and sin will stay not only with you, but you can actually pass that influence on to those that you love. You don't have to just sit there and accept yesterday's sin. When we repent of our sin and decide to follow the Lord, we break the curse that may have multi-generational influence. But the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus actually not only sets us free, but then he begins to introduce a whole new system new influences that actually bring a godliness and the blessing of God into our life, into our home, and that fresh stream begins to flow. Do you just bow your hearts with me this morning before we close? I want us to do something simple this morning before we leave, and that is that the Holy Spirit has shown you something. It could be anger. It could be addiction or just a stronghold of a certain sin. It could be the way that you manipulate people, the way you criticize, whatever it may be. Just something that maybe has always been under the radar and just been dismissed as, why well, I'm just like mom or dad or that's just the way I am. No, 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 no. When you are in Jesus, you are a brand new creation. The old, literally it says the Bible has passed away and continues to pass away. And look, everything is new and continues to become new. There's just this ongoing work in our life. But we decide which way we want that work to go. Do we want to continue to pass it on? Do we want to continue to be a channel for that? Or do we want to break that? That's unhealthy, that's wrong. And say, Lord, I don't want to play with this anymore. I'm tired of this affecting my relationships or my choices, my behavior, whatever it may be, my authority. Lord, I just call this for what it is. It's sin. So I'm going to give you three R's, and then we're going to do it. The first thing is repent. Repent simply means to think the way God thinks and stop making excuses. Lord, 
You have told me this is wrong. It is wrong. I hate it. Give me a hatred for this. Number two, renounce. We don't pray to the devil, but we can speak to him in the authority of Christ and say, devil, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit has brought this thing to light. I renounce my connection with you. The Bible says you can't walk together unless you're in agreement. That's how the devil has access to our life. He gives us a lie. We hold it up. We agree, and he starts walking with us. To renounce means, devil, I call out your lie. I'm not walking with you in this area anymore. This is what God says the truth is. I break off my association with you in this. I break off the place I've given to you in my mind or my life. Repent, renounce, and number three, simply receive. Say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into that place now. And please bring what you would bring to counter that. So, Lord, if there's been pride, I pray for humility. If there's been sexual impurity because of whatever area of brokenness, Lord, I just invite your holiness and your cleansing to come. The Lord will reveal what you need. So as musicians, you're just playing softly. Can we just do that? We're going to take just about 30 seconds for each of those three. So let's just begin in your own heart or just even a simple whisper that nobody else can hear. It's good to give voice to this. Let's just begin by repenting. Just go ahead. Whatever the Holy Spirit has shown you could be one, two, three things. It could just be one for now. Just say, Lord, please forgive me for accepting this in my life, for excusing it, for justifying it, maybe even enjoying it. Please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for not believing you, for not trusting you. You are my fulfillment. You are my joy. Just go ahead. Lord, forgive us. We want to be whole. We want to be healed. We want to bring peace and stillness to those around us. We want to carry your presence. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.